Welcome to episode number 29 of the Truth and Dare podcast. Today, Ali and I are sitting down with personal style coach and spirit seeker, Jody Belden. After over a decade of experience with private clients, national brands, and publications, including seven years as accessories editor at Elle magazine, Jody returned to her hometown of South Florida to show women that fashion can feel good and style is supposed to be effortless. Through her style coaching, closet therapy program, and website, polishingup.com, Jody shares inspiration and ideas for women who are seeking style inside as well as outside. Her unique brand of style therapy turns traditional styling on its head and puts the heart first. In this episode, Jody shares tons of wisdom on her journey through the New York City fashion scene and how getting quiet and in tune with her spiritual side brought her to where she is today. Jody dives into what it means to be spiritually stylish and explores the idea that what we wear and what we buy is as much tied to our self-love and our self-help journeys as anything else is. It's a really cool concept that's going to have you rethinking your closet immediately. You won't want to miss this super fun, uplifting, and honest conversation. Chatting with Jody was a total blast, and she is definitely one of the girls. But before we get started, we want to continue on with our favorite little tradition here at Truth and Dare and highlight our review of the week. This week's review of the week comes from Kay Lynch. Kay Lynch says, Tad is my favorite podcast to listen to, hands down. Allie and Carly really lay it out on the table for everyone, and it is so inspiring every week. The conversations are all so raw and somehow always relevant to how many women are feeling. Love you women. Can't wait to hear more. Thank you so much. Oh, I just love reading these reviews. They mean so much to us, you guys. And if you'd love to be highlighted and also help the show and the community grow, please drop us a review on iTunes. We truly appreciate it. Lastly, before we get going on this episode, we want to remind you that you can find out all the details about Jody, show notes, and blog posts about every single episode over at truthanddaremovement.com. Alrighty, now let's get started and have some closet therapy with Jody. Welcome to Truth and Dare, a podcast dedicated to female empowerment through living our truth and daring to change. Hi, I'm Carly Talbot. And I'm Allie Van Fossen. All righty. Let's get this conversation going, ladies. How about we kick it off per usual with our slug in the honey? So I'm going to go first. Carly here speaking. Um, I'm going to say my slug in the honey right now is that I'm just really um, disconnected from my journal, which is usually a big part of my life. But I'm just like not diving deep, not doing the work, just floating along with a bunch of stupid shit floating around in my head. And I'm just not sorting it out. And um, I don't feel like I'm giving myself the time and the compassion to work through what's going on mentally and what's going on in my life. And I know I can do it if I just open up the journal. I don't know why it's it becomes so hard to just like write a few sentences. It's, it's so not hard, but, um, not doing it. So that's something that I'm currently stuck with. Uh, what about you, Jody? What's going on in your life? Well, I, being that I, I also am a, a South Floridian a little bit, and I feel like this is annoying and like probably been over talked about so much, but like the whole hurricane Irma situation, just like kind of, you know, th- like you were, it just throws you out of balance. And, you know, we were so lucky. Like I, you know, we, we lost power and I had to um, be at my parents' house for almost a week. And then we had a trip planned to San Francisco. So I was actually out of my house for two weeks, which is like a little bit, you know, just, it's just like a little, like when you're not expecting that and like every, you have everything planned and I'm so, so much of a planner and to like have everything kind of thrown up in the air and just like starting from a place of like not feeling grounded a little bit, you know, cause I have so many rituals in place, like morning things that I do and like specific, you know, just, you know, everyone has their own little things and, and just really having to go along with that and really realizing that I'm not 
in control of everything. Like we always already know that, you know, and it's just kind of moving with the flow. So it's been a little bit of my, my issue. And it's even been, you know, it's been, um, I got home last Wednesday and I still like this whole week was just really, I was struggling to like get back into routine. So that's where I'm at. Well, we totally understand. And actually we just finished a podcast episode talking about life after Irma And like you said, we are so grateful and lucky that all of our belongings and family members and friends are safe. Um, There are a slew of nonprofit organizations that we listed in that last podcast episode to donate to for those who have been heavily impacted. But I feel you, Jody. I was in Hawaii, then I was back with no power, and it was like two weeks of um, like a stalemate, almost like a stillness, like life paused completely yeah. for me. And all the rituals went out the door, all the healthy practices that we do and the boundaries we set. It was like being at hurricane summer camp. And I know Carly, <laughs> yeah. I know Carly felt the same way, but <laughs> for today's slug in the honey, I feel really challenged by technology. Carly and I are in the same house, yet we cannot figure (laughs) out how to record in the same room without fucking up the audio, which just reasserts the fact that we are such amateurs and beginners at this and that we have a lot to learn. So on that note, uh, let's kick this interview off. So Jody, tell us how you got interested in fashion. What was the spark that lit the flame for you to pursue that industry and a career? Okay. Well, I mean, I feel like when people ask me this question, you know, I feel like as a girl, everyone is like loves fashion and dressing up. And like, so of course that's normal. So I felt like my interest in it was as normal as any other girl. But I feel like as I have grown up and gone through, I realized that like I definitely had a little bit more of an intense, like I remember I used to write down all of my outfits that I wore. Like the first day of school was so exciting. I'd write down every single thing I wore for like the whole year. So I like wouldn't repeat an outfit, like, like crazy. So I thought, I mean, I'm sure other people do that too, but also my mom collected Vogue magazines. She collected like September issues, which going back, I feel like makes so much sense that I ended up working at a fashion magazine. It's kind of like, so true what they say. I think they say like the first, like up to 12 years, maybe or up to seven years, you're such a sponge and like you're imprinted with so many things that really become like who you are and your personality. And I think my mom's love of like fashion magazines and the fantasy behind it and the editorials and how beautiful everything was. I got really, you know, really was implanted in me at a young age. So I think, you know, and, and I, and as I was in, I think in college, you know, I started really getting into, you know, caring about designers and what not that I was buying anything you know I wasn't I wasn't at the ability to be buying a lot of expensive stuff but just like really being obsessed with like the beauty and the culture around how beautiful clothes were made and and how luxury accessories were came to be and how designers had ideas so it's kind of how it started for me That's super cool. I love you talking about not repeating outfits. Not that I'm in any way a fashionista, (laughs) but I remember being in high school and I would be bored in class and I would plan out what I was going to wear for the week. I would write it down in my agenda book. I know it's such a girl thing, right? Like it's so fun to like, I, I mean, even, I mean, maybe not as much now, but I remember I would like go to bed, like I would, I'd fall asleep, like thinking about all the different like outfits I could put together in my head. It's just Clearly you belong in the fashion world. Um, (laughs) That's so cool. I mean, it sounds like it was, it's been a part of you for as long as you can remember. So um, walk us through your career timeline. When did you decide uh, to go from dreaming about your, dreaming about your next day's outfit to really (laughs) saying like, Hey, maybe I could do this as a career. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely like I feel like it it was something that was like long coming, but happened super quick. So I went to the University of Florida in Gainesville and go Gators if you're listening. <laughs> and um, and I I feel like, you know, I went through the whole four years of college. I was actually a dancer. So I had a dance. I was going to major in dance. And my parents were like, what are you doing? Like, we love you. But like, you know, you should get like a real major and something. So I kind of major in public relations, you know, doing like what I'm supposed like I, what I thought I was supposed to do. I liked writing. Like, I was a creative person. There wasn't like a fashion track at UF. You know, there wasn't any kind of any inform- anything to do there. So um, 
I really focused on like creative writing and the dancing. And when I finished the four years, I still like, I feel like deep down in my heart, I knew that I wanted to possibly try and make it in like fashion magazines. And I knew that that meant going to New York city. And at that point I was like, holy shit, like I can't, like I've only lived in Florida. Like all my family was in Florida. I had like a, a boyfriend at the time, you know, it's like the idea of leaving felt so scary. So I actually stayed at UF. I was like, I'll get a master's. You know, I, th- I just kept like putting it off a little bit. Um, and so I was like, getting a master's in international communication, like a year or two in, I finally just like bit the bullet. I was like, look, Jody, I'm like, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. If you don't at least go and intern in New York city at a fashion magazine, because like, I just felt so strongly that that was something that I should be doing in my life or at least try it. I knew I would regret it. Cause I'm not going to like get married, have kids and then move to New York city and become an intern. So I, <laughs> I applied, I applied to a couple internships. Like I remember the three of them were, um, L Cosmo and Harper's Bazaar, I want to say. And, um, all three of them were like, Oh yeah, of course. Come. Well, like I got really, well, I was also older, you know, at that point, I think a lot of interns are like 18. And at that point I was going into getting a master's. So I was probably 23 or 24. And I said that I could work like I was wanting to do an internship like Monday through Friday, like all day long. And people probably jump- now looking back, knowing how magazines work, they had jumped at that because most people are like, I'm free on like Tuesday afternoon to intern. or whatever. <laughs> and so um, all three of them were like, come in. And I met with all of them and they all offered me internships. And and granted, this is New York City in a fashion magazine. These are not paid internships. This is New York City, like the most expensive place to live. So they it's almost like a catch 22. They're like, okay, we're giving you this, in, this uh, internship, but like, how are you going to make this work? Cause you have to live here and we're not paying you. So I took the job at L cause Nina Garcia, who happened to be the fashion director at the moment, she's actually now the editor in chief of the magazine just recently. But, um, she, I was going to be picked if I got, if I picked L, I was actually going to be her specific intern, which I was like, Oh, that sounds like a good, a good thing for me. So I started interning there, had like an amazing experience. Cause I, w- I practically felt like an employer, like a, a third assistant for her shirt. She already had two assistants. And then within three months, she hired me to be her assistant. Cause one of her assistants was getting promoted, which was in, like unheard of because I had been there with interns at intern for like three summers in a row or something, you know? So I got really lucky well, I thought I got really lucky, got hired. And then Nina left the magazine, like within like a couple months. And so the editor-in-chief knew that I had just been newly hired, but she also knew I had a background in writing. So she offered, she asked me to come into her office and she's like, look, like we don't have that job for you anymore. But if you're interested in this job, we have an opening as a, the beauty assistant. And the beauty assistant actually writes a page in the magazine. And I was like, what? And I, I was like trying to keep my cool. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll take that. Sure, you know? <laughs> and it was like my first job I'd ever had. At Elle Magazine, I had an entire page. I had like a byline, which is like an unheard of. Like most people don't get bylines in magazines for years and years and years. I did this thing called the It page. I don't know if any of you like look at Elle Magazine, but I did this beauty page called It. And it was like all the cool new products. And I got to try them out. And I had like a byline. Again, my first job, like my first writing job, like a national magazine. It was just insane. So I did that for a year, but it was still really obsessed with fashion accessories, was kept really close with the whole fashion team. And a position opened up in accessories. And Joe Z, who was the creative director at the time, offered me the position. He's like, well, I know, we know that you guys, you or we know that you still really want to come over here. So if you want to. So as hard as it was, like the beauty job was literally the best job I had. Like my job, my, I like went and got pedicures and like massages at all the most amazing places in New York City and got to have like my name. And it was just too cool. Like now looking back, it's just like so meant to be. So it was really great. So then I started working in accessories and like low men on the totem pole. Like when you're an assistant in fashion departments, I mean, you're doing like the create, you're like running around. I mean, you have a team of interns and you're still like, you're there from like eight o'clock in the morning to like 10 o'clock at night. Like every night fashion weeks are crazy. Cause all of your bosses are like in Europe and it was just, it was kind of like the devil wears pot. I mean, people, I mean, unfortunately people were kind of mean like that a little bit. Um, but at the same time, there's such an amazing camaraderie with the, all the girls that you work with. Like everyone feels like you're all in it together. It's like being in like a really intense, like summer camp or something, you know? And, and I, those girls that they, some of them still work at L now are like my best friends to this day, just cause we like, we dealt with so much crap together. So it's kind of amazing. So that's where I was at L for seven years. And then it's brought me to where I am now. Did you want me to go into continue going into the, how, where I, as of today? Well, I want to stop you and ask a few questions. Like, can you point out any notorious moments in your fashion career span? Especially, I think, like you said, we have this persona of the industry being cutthroat and devil wears Prada-like. 
What were some really low, low moments where you were second guessing, you know, chasing this dream of moving to New York City and all of the different challenges and hoops that you jumped through as well as all the achievements? And uh, you just pointed out some really high highs. You know, you got this mm-hmm. page, the it page. You got to be in a national magazine as your first writing opportunity. So maybe can you paint us a picture and go into like a low, low moment where you were really second guessing this industry and this career oh, yeah, and this yeah. passion of yours? Yeah, for sure. I mean, well, like, so as, like, as all that's going on, like the underlying thing is, you know, I moved when I first, when I got the internship, I have a, my mom is from New York city. So I lived with an aunt that lived on long Island. So I was taking the train in every day, like having to get up at six o'clock in the morning, like get on a train, be on a train for an hour, go to, go to the city, be to the city sometimes till nine, nine or 10 o'clock at night and then take a train home. So like that was my entire life for, for a very long time. And then once I did finally get the job, they don't, you're really not, I mean, people, I think get the idea. It's glamorous. You're not getting paid a lot of money at all because like I said, you know, they'll tell you a million girls want your job. So it's like, if you don't want it at this price, you know, or at this, with this salary, then like someone else will take your job. So you feel like you don't really have a lot of, um, what's the word? Oh, negotiating power, you know? So you just take whatever is given to you. You're making not enough money to live in the city. So I, you know, I found a couple roommates. I lived with like two roommates. So there's three girls who I love them to death. Um, I lived with them for almost God, five or six years. We lived, we lived in like two different apartments together, but like the first apartment we lived in was like a one bedroom. We turned into like a three bedroom. Like this is how intense it is. Cause I mean, it costs like almost probably $3,000 for that one bedroom apartment. So split, we could each pay like a thousand, which is still crazy. I mean, I'm making like under $30,000 a year at this magazine, you know, like, I mean, we're talking, you're not, you're barely able you know, making ends meet. The only reason I was able to eat is because I would be like at work so much. I could eat there or whatever, you know? So, I mean, it was, it was tough. I mean, it definitely helps the newness of the job. Like it was like, Oh, this is amazing. This is what I want to do. I love this. I love this. I love this. But at the same time, my quality of life was like crap, like total crap. You know, you're just, you're barely scraping by you're living in a one bedroom apartment with two other girls. I mean, it was really, it was really tough. Um, and there was definitely some more. And then on top of that, you're alone. You know, like I was doing long distance with a boyfriend. I didn't know anybody in the city. I did not have one friend in the city. All my family was back in Florida or my or in Charlotte, North Carolina, where my sister and my nieces live. Um, so, you know, it was tough. It was like, I think I just threw myself into work because it was the only thing to do. You know, and, and it was like, and to be honest, it was like the only way to survive was to like go like 100% in and just focus, focus, focus on that. Like, I, I really don't know how people have families in New York City because I feel like all I could do was work, you know, it just felt so overwhelming and so much to do. So there was definitely moments where I was like, what am I doing? And like, how long am I going to keep this up? Because I literally thought I was just going there to intern for like a couple months and it ended up getting a job. And then I ended up being there and just like year after year, I was like, oh, I'll stay, I'll stay, I'll stay. And I was like, I'm never making any money. I'm, this is never like, and you know, it, it, and then the funny thing is, is you know, you're traveling around the world. Like I flew all over the world. Like I would be, I've been, you know, like I've been to Paris and you go to like these beautiful things in Switzerland and I'm at watch shows and jewelry shows in China and India. And like, you're doing all these amazing things, but, but you're not, but like the quality of life is just not there because you're doing all these things for work. And like, there's nothing that you're actually doing for yourself. And that's kind of, I think where I started to like, you know, as the years went on, I started to lose the disconnect from like the reasons why I start, I wanted this job so much and the things I loved about it. And like trying to find a way to meld, like still like owning who I am and loving who I am and being like a whole person while being able to work in the fashion industry. And that's when I decided to leave out. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I was just thinking, listening to your story, going from a light of being just a Florida girl. I mean, I've been to Gainesville a million times. Mm-hmm. I know what UF is like. Allie and I went to UCF. I mean, my sister went to UCF. <laughs> nice. It's, um, it's just a big change. It's really yeah. a big change. Yeah. I mean, even when I go to New York now, all these years later out of college and I'm, I'm more grown up and I'm like, holy shit, I can only be here for a couple of days because yeah. it's just not a lifestyle that I'm um, familiar with. So I'm sure that you know, coming from where you were to where you, uh, you know, coming from Florida and then ending up in New York had its challenges, challenges in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but you said somewhere in the midst of these, in the chaos, you started to lose um, the reason uh, why you started this in the first place and sort of losing yourself. And 
I guess I want to know throughout those experiences, the hard times, were there any um, things that you did to try to pull yourself out from those places or did you just put your head down and keep working? Were there any um, self-care practices that you brought into play? Basically, how did you make it through those seven years, especially in the more dark moments? Yeah. So again, like we were saying, like uh, so many things are meant to be. I think one of the main reasons too, I, I was in New York city and all that happened for me is while I was there, I had a really good girlfriend who was in the features department who wrote, you know, she was like the assistant to like the big features director. So they were in charge of like deciding what to put in the content of the magazine that wasn't fashion. So all the like political, like hard hitting, like, you know, really um, thoughtful intelligence kind of pieces. And so, so she always got sent things about, different people like books and, you know, people that want to get in the magazine, like pitching her. And we got sent a book from Gabrielle Bernstein, her first book ever, right? Had, I don't know if anyone, if you guys are familiar with her, um, how to have more ing or I think that was her first book. And my girlfriend brought it to me, like at my little desk, like we had like a minute to eat. And she's like, look, check out this book. Doesn't this look so cool? This girl looks really cool. And we're like, I don't know. It looks a little woo woo. And, and, um, she's like, I think we should go check it out. Like, fine. So we like contacted her and told her we might want to write for Elle. So that she's like, Oh, you can come to my classes for free. She was holding these like group sessions with like less than 20 girls and these like little yoga in this little yoga studio on first and first and like the East village in New York city. And we just like showed up and like, I can remember I was, like something about something about it. Like I automatically was like, yes, we want to go. And me and my girlfriend showed up. This was probably, this has got to be like seven years ago now we showed up and sat down and I just felt like I, like, this is where I was meant to be. Like I got, like, we sat in this yoga like circle. We did like, I mean, I, I had heard about, you know, like, I think at that time, a lot of Eckhart Tolle stuff was going around and I loved Oprah. So I was like, you know, I, I kept up with stuff and I love self-improvement. So I'm always like looking at things, but I wasn't really into meditation. I wasn't into like learning it. Like Gabby was teaching about the, a course in miracles and meditation and Marion Williamson and Wayne Dyer and like all this stuff that literally like opened my world without that. I think me, without that happening for me, like so early on when I was at L, I don't know if I would have lasted as long as I did there because it completely changed my life. Like I started meditating, I would go to Gabby's groups all the time. Like it just, I mean, actually, I also think it, it like kind of, it was the thing that grounded me while I was L, at L, but it was in, and in New York city. But I also think it's also the thing that made me realize that there was more to life than like just what I was doing. So it was just like such this beautiful serendipitous meeting. And then Gabby and I became really good friends because I just like, after I went to a couple of things, I was like, look, I feel like maybe you need a stylist. Can I help you? She's like, Oh my God, I need a stylist. Yeah. So I started styling her for like book covers and book tours and, we just became really close and like without her mentorship for that whole time. I mean, even now, like I would not be where I am because it introduced me to so many of the things that have like changed my life. Well, I know Carly is having a major fangirl moment because mm -hmm. Carly also. Do you love Gabby? I love Gabby. Aww. I love you, Gabby. Let's be friends. I yeah. I remember Great. Carly calling me probably five years ago now. We were just coming home from our stint of living in Italy together, and it was a few months after that. And Carl, I don't know if you remember this conversation. We're talking on the phone. I was getting ready to fly back to Europe, and you're telling me about she just went and did a weekend with Gabby at Kripalu. And <laughs> you did, always have been to one of those. They're so good. Yeah. I'll let yeah. her talk. And I remember her just word vomiting all of the material <laughs> that Gabby laid on her. And she's like, I cried all weekend. And I'll let you take it away, Carl, because I know you need to get in here and talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just so cool. I'm just I'm such a big Gabby fan. And I I have been um, for a long time. I read spirit junkie, like what Ali is saying, probably five or six years ago. And I was just like, oh, my God, it was the first self-help book that just connected talk to you to because me, actually talk to you to me right yeah, and yeah. I'm going through a breakup and I just felt like it it made sense to me where I was at that point in my life and it became like this bible and it really opened the, a whole new uh door for me into this world of healing and um understanding myself and really diving deep and so then I went to a Kripali weekend and um I've just been like drinking the Gabby Kool-Aid ever since. Yeah. So I think yeah. it's so cool because I've always heard her talk and her talks about like when I started, I had these little group meetups and I'm yes, like, yes, 
it was so it's so cool I mean it's just and the thing is is like and I tell Gabby this all the time like she and she knew this like she was so on to something like this idea that she looked like us you know like Mm -hmm. I mean like now of course I love like I was saying Marianne Williams and Wayne Dyer like I can read all these very heavy spiritual texts I can like get into that but I would have never went straight there you know it's like Gabby was like this beautiful conduit that took me to this spiritual place that I could not have got to on my own because she was wearing like skinny jeans and she had high heels on. She like wore hair, like, you know what I mean? Like right. she looked and she was like our, and she talked in the voice that I talked in and she was like, look, I messed up. And like, I have this boyfriend and I'm going crazy. And like, she was, and she still is now. That's why I think that, you know, so much of her success, but in those group meetings, she, it was really like, look at, this is what happened to me this week. And this is how I'm like fixing it. Or she was always just like, she forgave herself. And she like, you know, and she's trying to see it differently. Like, you know, it was just so, it was such a beautiful like thing for me in that point of my life to be a part of like those group meetings. I hold, hold such a special place in my heart. Cause it was really mm. like changing and like the energy of groups. Like I just, I, that's like one of the things I miss about, I don't know if you guys have that where you live, but like, and I know that I, this is probably a reason why I should start something like this, but like in West Palm beach, there's like no, like an awesome, like not even, I mean, it doesn't have to just be like a meditation circle, but just like a place like that, like people to get together and talk about all these like like-minded things. I like miss that so much. I also really miss that. Um, I used to live up in St. Petersburg, Florida, which is just booming with creativity and that kind of mindset. And those circles are actually pretty common up there. But now Carly and I are back at home living with our parents for a few more months in really small Florida beach towns. And they are not up with the yeah. times yet. Like right. the yoga well, studios barely have good yoga <laughs> for me. Yeah, yeah. 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 I know West Palm Beach is like huge. You think, I mean, I've, I have a really hard time even finding like a meditation group at a yoga studio. And I don't know why that's so, I don't know. Just, I guess. It's well, just there's a market for it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We'll get there. We will get there. Um, <laughs> so let's get back to you. Um, and also I just want to say like one last note on you with the Gabby thing that I was thinking about is that I think all of us who are doing this type of deeper, more raw and authentic work where we're exposing so much of our own lives and sharing them with others, it's because there was that one moment or that one person or that one group that really was like the clencher that you were at this fork in the road and because you met Gabby and because Carly picked up the spirit junkie, you know, Mm -hmm. you guys went the other way. And so I think it's really cool to reflect on, you know, when that fork occurred and who was part of that. And so it's cool to hear your story and how Gabby played a part in it. Um, But I want to know what was that final moment, that last straw you're living in New York city and you're coming back to move to Florida, right? Like a lot of people were probably thinking that maybe we're on the outside of your bubble. Why would you leave, you know, this major national magazine? Why would you leave this lifestyle? Whereas, you know, you're on the inside of the bubble and you're working the grind, not getting paid enough for your efforts. But what was that final moment where you said to yourself, this is it, I'm changing my life and moving back to where I came from. And what did it feel like to kind of walk away from this you know, your version of your empire that you built up in New York City to come back to Florida? You know, what were those feelings? And just walk us through that kind of that transition. Gosh, yeah, that was like, it was a really, really tough time. I think, you know, I mean, I think like you were saying, like from the outside, people are like, that's insane, because it's amazing. But like any job is work. Like, I, I think you can even see that like with a celebrity or someone like a movie star, you're like, oh, what a glamorous thing. But like work is work. And, and there's definitely that aspect that goes into the job. Um, but also I was really just at like, I was at a huge crossroads in my life in terms of like everything changing. Like I was, um, I was at my Saturn return, you know, if anyone's really into astrology things, like I was definitely in my Saturn return. Like I was, I think I was 29 years old and I just felt like everything was falling apart. Like the, the relationship that I had been in had been long distance for so long at that point that it was like, it really needed probably to end, but a part of me was still trying to hold on to it so much. I think a lot of me moving back was trying to make that work, but it it didn't work. Um, and also like just the, the job again, like it just felt like I was stuck in this rut and it's like, yes, you're doing amazing things, but at the same time, there's a lot of negativity. There's a still such a lack, like a mentality of lack involved in bigger corporations. I think publishing fashion magazines for sure. Like there's just this very different mindset of like, 
I mean, like I said, I had this tight group of girls, like we're all kind of on the same level, but all the people above us, all the women I worked with, I didn't want, like someone told me like, if you, do you want your boss's job or do you want the editor in chief's job or do you want the director job? And I was like, hell no, those people are miserable. Like they're not nice to me ever. You know, like the, the attitudes are just, there's so much competition. Like the female competition thing was so strong within the, um, the fashion magazine. It's like so sad to say, actually, you know, and I, I see that so much. I think that was a huge part of me new, especially the more work I was doing, the Gabby stuff, the, like the course of miracles, like love is the only thing that's real. I was like, this cannot be real. This can't be it. Like I can't live the rest of my life in a place like this, as much as I love the things you like, uh, the beautiful fashion. And I love putting the magazine together and people are like, Oh, it's so amazing. And like the editorials and like the creative process, the, the places which, which they were housed felt so toxic, you know, and as, and as, and I would talk to Gabby about this and she's like, can't you like, just try to be the light, like just be the light in the office. And like, I would try and I would try, but I just felt like it was, I just couldn't like, it was so, it was so suffocating in there. I just, I knew that as much as I didn't want to, like, it was such an ego thing for my, for me, right. To leave there. Cause I went from having like a title and like getting like, every time someone asks you, what do you do? Oh, I work at Elle magazine. Like, how amazing is that? You don't have to say anything else. People are like, Oh, that's amazing. You work at Elle magazine. And like, it's a conversation starter and everyone wants to talk to you about it to like moving home. I like moved home to my parents' house. Cause I did not like, I had like a huge amount of money or anything, broke up with a boyfriend, like left New York city, moved home to my parents' house. Like it was so many ego deaths that I like experienced within such a short period of time. Um, but at the same time, I tell people like how hard it was. It was also the easiest decision I've made, like leaving L at least leaving L. I mean, the boyfriend that the relationship thing was really difficult. I think that was even probably harder for me because I was really attached to that. But the leaving L, I was just like, I just knew I was like, this isn't what I'm supposed to, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. I'm like, this might be what I'm supposed to be doing. But I knew, especially with doing so much work with Gabby and realizing that like I could, I could be having a career that like gave a lot more light into the world, you know, not to sound woo woo, but just like, it was like a better, a better way to be in fashion. That's really what I wanted to create. And I knew that I couldn't like change L magazine. So I knew I had to leave. Mm-hmm. So leaving L was actually the easiest thing I've ever done. But then the minute I left and then I moved home, I like, I remember like I went home with like, I mean, I, I packed a bunch of stuff and had it driven down, but I literally went home with like a suitcase and like within one day, you know, I'd been there for seven years and like one jet blue flight home and I like got home and that was it. Like me, one suitcase in like my old bedroom at my parents' house in like Stewart, Florida from New York city. Like it was a huge blow to like all the things that I like believed about myself. And it was really, really tough. But I think I had to like break everything down and like start from the beginning. Amen. I think that it's really hard when you're in a challenging place. Cause I've been there too, where you're telling yourself, be the light, be the light. Mm-hmm. You can do it. Lead by example. Yeah. People will follow you. Oh, you just have to be the change. And I believe that it's true. You can be the light, but you can't change the foundation. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's just it. And sometimes it gets to a point where I think the culture, the foundation of where you're at can engulf you. And um, at that point, it can turn your light off. Even even if your light yeah. is bright as hell, right, exactly. it, can turn, it can blow yeah. out the candle. And um, so being able to see that um, is really, really hard. But it's also really brave and clearly it was what you needed to do. So you came home with a suitcase. (laughs) What happened? I mean, what did your career look like when you got to Florida? So I didn't, I mean, I, like I said, I had a little bit of like money saved, but really not. I mean, luckily I had my parents that, um, you know, they didn't, they didn't give me money, but like they allowed me to stay in their house for free. So I'd have to like pay rent and they would buy food. And my mom is like a great cook. So like I had dinner, I had food all the time and all that good stuff. But like, I didn't have a car. Like I came from New York city, you know, so I didn't have a car to worry about. I, I really just had like, you know, maybe a couple random like credit card bills, not very much. And, um, and, like a cell phone bill to worry about. So I, I didn't do for like the first six months, I moved back home. I did like a couple I would do like a couple consulting things here and there to like make a little bit of money. Like, like literally just for like a day or two. And then, but I literally did not have a job for like six months. And all I did was like, I mean, I mean, I don't know if it was possible for me to have a job. Like I literally was in a bad place. Like I would be, I spent the first like month of being in my parents' house, like crying on the bathroom floor at night. Like it was just really, really tough, you know, cause you're starting, like I said, from, from the beginning. 
but it was such a beautiful place to be like starting back where you started, right? Like with your parents, like I was like, looking back, it's so funny. Like the universe is so funny. Like I would have never been like, I mean, I left my house when I was 18. So for me to come back when I was like 30, I was like, what, this is crazy, you know? Um, but, but I, I got, I really, like we said, so like all the things, you know, that like, as I, cause I had spent so much time with Gabby and learning and reading books, all the things I was like, that I was like, Oh, that wouldn't that be amazing to have time to do that. I spent those six months doing that. Like every morning I like, I was like on a strict, like such a strict schedule of like spiritual and like, like evolution, enlightenment. Like I woke up, I did this much meditation in front of like, you know, whole, I did like prayer beads. I like always try new things. I would like tap every day. I would like listen to like mm-hmm. a Gabby, one of Gabby's lectures, like every day for like an hour, like a different one. She does a lot of Kundalini med- meditation. So I do tons of Kundalini stuff. Then I would like go to a library and read a bunch of books. Then I would like go to the beach and like sit at the beach and just be quiet <laughs> and like bring a sandwich or something from home. Like I literally was like a retired person <laughs> trying to find themselves for the first like six months I was home I did not have my parents and I can tell I felt like my parents at first like for the month they were like totally fine with it and then they started getting worried they're like what's wrong with you I would be doing like nothing I was like making juice I was like making them super healthy they're, like to this day my parents juice and um they hadn't didn't even know what juice was before I moved in I like we bought a juicer and I like juiced every day for them I just ate really healthy I did yoga I love yoga with Adrian. I do a lot of her videos. Um, and, and I literally was in like a little mini, like spiritual boot camp that I like created for myself. And like, I did that for six months until I finally got to a place where I feel like I could interact with the world. Like as crazy mm-hmm. as that sounds, I mean, obviously, I mean, I wasn't like, you know, like if you would have met me at that time, you'd probably be like, Oh, like, she's cool. Great. Like it was, it's very easy to pretend, you know, it's like, in this world where we get really good at like pretending that everything's okay when we're not, I wasn't going to unload on people. I didn't know. And they're like, how are you doing? You're like, well, this is what's going on with me right now. (laughs) I was really good at like, you know, making it seem like everything was okay. But, but those six, I mean, I was at my parents' house for a full year. So like up, I mean, for six months, I didn't have a job. And then I finally did started doing like a little bit of work here and there. Um, but I still have not had a full-time job since I left L. So, um, I have been like my, spiritual health has been like such a huge part of my life for the past four years. So it's pretty crazy when I think about it. I mean, that's incredible though. Like how, Mm -hmm. you know, looking back, like you said, how serendipitous that you get to come back to where you started and that you have this container of comfort and pure support and non-judgment, you know, it's your parents. So you can be in this spiritual boot camp. and how incredible that you did meet Gabby so that you knew when you were lying on the bathroom floor crying that you had all of these tools and practices that you could put in place to help bring you out of that dark, you know, depth of what the fuck am I doing? You know, most of us are not armored with these weapons of spiritual practice that really help safeguard us when we do drop fully down to the ground. So it sounds like everything unfolded how it should have. And I mean, Carly and I totally understand we are both right around 30 and living with our parents. So it's really (laughs) weird. Um, But tell us, so you, you had this six months of spiritual boot camp, and, you know, where are you at now with your career? What's going on? Okay. So I feel, so once I, you know, as things were, I mean, during this whole six months too, I was thinking like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I was like, you know, and I kept coming up with like, you know, ideas and, and, um, and ways to be of service, you know, doing the things that I love, but like in a different capacity. So I definitely, you know, I have done a ton of consulting, you know, it's what they, especially with like, I feel like with my experience and being in South Florida, not a lot of people have the experience I have. So my experience is very well sought out. So I do a lot of consulting, which I have continued to do um, for like brands in the area, like whether it be like a big fashion brand or a jewelry brand, or even like big, like I work with Simon malls, which they own like almost all the malls in the country. Um, I do a lot of um, so consulting. So like, like, okay, they just, they want help with like, I do a lot of style consulting, fashion consulting, physical, like actual fashion shows, events, things like that, that these brands want to do, but also help them figure out who their voice is and like who their audience is. So it's a lot of just helping brands figure out where they want to go. But so a lot of this work requires me to work with people for a couple months and then not work with them. So that's definitely been a little bit of a struggle for me. Um, you know, not having the consistent, the consistent income and, and working like that. So like, I feel like that's hard. Like I need to do something that feels more 
authentic to me too because it still felt like I was still very much in the fashion space there like the corporate fashion space I'm like I think my 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 greatest gift is like the one-on-one helping people so I started doing a lot of of what I call now style coaching but you know what what people think of it as is you know styling like so personal styling and I felt like the more and more I was with clients the more I realized that I'm a little bit more like a therapist than really a stylist you know and that's really what it comes down to clothes are such a personal thing like everyone thinks it has to do with with um you know how much money you have or how stylish you are but really it comes down to like how you feel about yourself and the limiting beliefs you have around your body and the things that you can accomplish in life really like all that plays into how you dress yourself every day and I just found that working with my clients more and more it was so much and it felt so good I felt like I was coaching people as much as I was styling them so I've become um so style coaching is what I do now Um, So I work one-on-one with clients, helping them really kind of find the confidence that they've lost, whether it's been, you know, I work with moms or even, you know, girls that are, you know, have gotten gone into a career and are really deciding what's important in their life and like trying to find their way. And, you know, everyone comes to me with like the Trojan horses, like, oh, I need a style revamp or I need a closet. Like, you know, I do, I do have a service called closet therapy that I come in and I help you like, I like go through everything in your closet, help you get rid of all the things you don't want, organize things, style outfits for you. And like, it's just like a really beautiful kind of service that happens within three hours. And everyone always thinks that they're coming to me for this like concrete, like style thing, like clean that, like help me clean up my closet or get rid of clothes or help me style outfits. But in the long run, it's really about discovering limiting beliefs that are holding you back from being the person that you really want to be. That's so awesome. And I think you're so right about how clothes um, are a reflection of how we feel about ourselves, how we carry ourselves, how we feel about our bodies. Um, But I just want to jump back and make a comment about what you were talking about earlier when you um, sort of had your breakdown at your parents' house. And I just want to say that you did not sound crazy, first (laughs) of all. Um, I, too, hit a the lowest of the low breaking point at my parents' house about five years ago when I came back to Florida for the first time. And I think that for any of our listeners who are at whatever your rock bottom means to you, I really believe that um, we have, sometimes we just have to break down and break open in order to be able to grow again. And um, I think it's the darkest times that allow us to um, not only heal, but be able to connect with other people in a really beautiful way. So I I just think it's great you went through a breakdown and that you talk about your breakdown. And I've had a lot of low moments. And um, I think it makes people feel safe when you share it. So thanks for sharing that. And um, but back to being a stylist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What you're doing now, it sounds like you're really helping women come into their own through clothes and, and through their style. How do you feel like spirituality and style coexist with one another? And how do you um, try to bring out maybe a more spiritual side in your clients when they might uh, not be accustomed to that way of thinking or that type of lifestyle? Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. Cause I deal with people, like I said, I feel like so many people come to me thinking that they came to me for style Um, you know, and it ends up being that what they really need is like some self-love when it comes down to it. So the way the, like the process that I've developed with my style coaching is, um, is in works in three categories. It's, uh, cure or cultivate, curate, collect. So I won't even talk, collect is the last thing we talk about. I won't even talk to people about buying things until we've gone through the first two processes, because I feel like everyone wants to like, it's all about the quick fix, right? It's all about adding, buying the thing. Everyone, you know, there's a great quote that I have something about like nothing outside of us will make you more than who you are, right? That's like what all the society's about us. And like mag is so much of magazines, which is, you know, like me coming from that, I I 100% know. Is thinking that, you know, advertisers prey on the idea that you think that you need something outside of you to make you more or better than because you're not good enough as you are, you know, and that's really what clothes are and styling and, 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 uh, stores prey on that. So if you're not in a good place, you're going to go shopping and you're going to be completely susceptible to the terrible advertising and all the things and all the things that people try to convince you to buy, unless you know, for sure, what's really, really true for you. 
So I walk through my clients who cultivate, cultivate. Like, so like you were saying, some clients I talk to, they don't have, none of these people have spiritual practices or meditation practices because they come to me, you know, a little bit still on a superficial level, you know, cause I'm a stylist. I used to work at L. So blah, blah, blah. So I start with them with something that I feel like can make a lot of sense. I'm like, look, this is what I teach all of my clients to create a little self confidence ritual like what I call it right like we do in the morning we're going to develop a little self-confidence ritual I'm like it's impossible to get dressed in the morning unless you feel good about yourself so let's get ourselves in like a good vibration which I mean as you guys know this is like the foundation of most all like spiritual teachings right it's like Louise Hay is the queen of like start the morning with like affirmations and like positive ideas or like if you follow the Abraham Hicks stuff you know like the rampage of appreciation just like being really really getting into appreciation and gratitude in the morning puts you in such a good high vibe place all day so I teach my clients like I ask them what do they absolutely love love doing like some like my last client she like loved puzzles or something like that I'm like in the morning when you wake up before you do anything like grab a cup of coffee and I teach them a breathing exercise I teach them the like quick the like in four, hold four, out four, hold four. Like, cause I feel like it's such an easy, quick, I'm like, do this for me for like a minute. I mean, who can't do that for a minute? Like if you can't spend a minute breathing, then it's like, I don't know. I don't want to work with you then. <laughs> but, you know, but so like, and I, I usually, I'm like work up to five minutes, but I'm like, if they can start their morning, I'm like, all it takes is 15 minutes. If you spend 15 minutes every morning, five, one to five minutes doing a little breathing, you can sit with your cup of coffee, your tea, look out a window, whatever makes you feel comfortable. Like there is no restrictions and then spend another 10 minutes just doing something you love. Like if it's a puzzle, if you love to color, if you like writing in a journal, if you like watching Gilmore girls or something, I mean, whatever it is, like just get into a high vibe place in the morning that makes you feel good. Like we wake up so much in the morning and it's like, you know, it's when the time you're most closest to like really rewiring your subconscious, you are in such a great place to like implement like really positive thoughts. And so I always, I teach my clients. So that's the whole cultivate part. So cultivate the things and I, that you love to do, whether it's developing a meditation practice, breathing, a little bit of yoga, stretching, da, 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 like we said, and I really, really encourage this 15 minute practice. And then we move on to curate. Curate is talking about all the things you already own right? Everyone is so quick to like, oh my God, I need this new thing I saw on Instagram with this girl wearing. I'm like, well, if I look in your closet, you have something really similar to it, but you don't even realize it because you're always just looking out outwards, right? So I spend a lot of time with clients going through everything they already have. Like why, like, do you love, like I, I hold a piece of clothing and if they're like, eh, I'm like, okay, no, it's either like no, or maybe if you don't, if I don't hold a piece of clothing and you're like, absolutely. I love this. If it's not a hell yes or a hell no, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. that's kind of, there's usually no in between. So I really work with people going through everything that they already own. Your closet should be filled with stuff you love. Like, why are we holding on to like a dress that makes us feel bad because it doesn't fit us anymore? And we, it's like a constant reminder that we need to lose 10 pounds. Like, it's a shitty way to start the day, right? Looking at your closet. So it's like, I don't force people to throw anything out. All the things that aren't like hell yeses. If I mean, if it's a complete hell no, we get rid of it. If it's a hell yes, it stays in your closet. It's like front center. We love it. If it's like a maybe, I'm not sure. Like we can put it away. Like people get so worried. Everyone thinks you have to keep every single thing you own inside a closet that you can look at every day. I really work on clients. Like we develop this little like capsule collection kind of, you know, idea. And like everything that you're not so sure about, we put in a, you know, put away nicely under a bed in another closet, just like tuck it away. And we'll revisit in three months. And like, if you never thought about any of those things, we're going to get rid of them. But if maybe you really did want to bring one of those things back into your closet, bring it back into your closet. But why not just keep the things that you absolutely love in your closet? You know, it's like, it's almost like we're beating ourselves up every day, you know, like, it's like, it's just like the idea of like getting on a scale every day, like reminding yourself of like, I don't know, I just, I I always tell my clients, I'm like, you don't need to keep the old clothes or the things that have bad memories or the things that you don't really like to wear or like you kept it, you want to keep it because you spent a lot of money on it. So it's like a reminder that like you spent, you had like a bad money choice. I don't, you know, like all that all that terrible subconscious stuff going on. So we really go through the curate process. And then the last thing I do with people is collect. And I'll go through like a very edited list of things I think they could add to their closet that would be really useful. And I help them create lists. You know, people so much, like we go to the mall. And again, like I said, you're, we're kind of, as consumers, we're really, we're really like uh, targets, right? Advertisers and salespeople, they just want to sell you stuff and sales. And it's meant to trigger all of these like specific things in your brain to get you to buy things you really don't need. So I always tell my clients before you walk into a mall or a store, you like 
have this list on your phone that I gave you or this list that you've been adding to of, and you look at the things that you know that you would really would love to have and you need to have in your closet and you only focus on looking at those things when you go shopping because someone will tell me that they really need a new black pair of pants or they constantly keep buying jeans or you know like that kind of thing so I feel like the collect the collect um portion of it is really about changing people's perception and preparing them because so much of the time we're buying stuff that it's not necessary. I'm sure. I mean, we all do it. I'm not saying I don't do it. I'm just saying I'm like so aware of how to help the process. Well, I love your three-part system and I especially love the collect part with creating lists because you're totally right. I go to wherever I go to shop really with no intention just because I want to like relax. I think women really love that idea of window mm-hmm. shopping, but then we get Target. pulled. It's like Target. Target, the black hole. <laughs> right. We get pulled into this vortex of, oh, that's so cute. And oh my God. And you end up leaving somewhere with things that you absolutely don't need. And you're totally right. People, especially for me, I needed a black pair of heels forever. Yet for some reason, I never left with a black pair of heels. You know, it was like another wedge or something that I didn't need. So I love the list part. And I want to go back to talking about your clients. So are you only working with clients um, face-to-face? How are you finding these clients? You know, what's the process of you, you know, becoming more known? Yeah. So, I mean, right yeah, right now, again, so the, this has been like a slow process for me because I felt like I was doing something that's really different. Like, I mean, I feel like in order for you to work with me, you have to be a little bit like into this, into a different way of looking. I'm not, I don't want to work with people that just want to hire me to help them find like the latest trends and like them shopping, you know? So it's like, I kind of have to vet people a little bit. You know, a lot of it's been word of mouth just from people like knowing me in the area. I'm like, Oh, I I know someone that would love to work with a person stylist stylist. So that has been really great. But also I have a website. I, um, I do a blog and I work with people. I do style coaching. I will do, um, Skype. I do. So I have had a couple clients that aren't in the area, but uh, the majority of mine have been local and also the closet therapy service that I told you. So I do two things. I do style coaching and closet therapy, closet therapy. Obviously I have to, you have to be local. I work with people in the South Florida area from Broward, Palm beach and Martin counties. Cause I'm actually coming into your closet, spending three hours with you doing the whole thing. So that's really fun. But the style coaching I, I can, you can do from anywhere. So I have had a couple of people reach out to me, um, that don't live in the area. So that's been really great because you know you can connect just as much on, you know, Skype, which is kind of amazing as you can, um, in person. And I've, and I've had people like, you know, we'll be like that we'll be, um, on Skype and like, they'll bring out clothes and show me clothes in their closet. And so it's really kind of cool. It's like a really neat process. So I'm really into that. What was it? Did you have, did you have like another part of that question I missed? I feel like. Nope. You got it all, girlfriend. Okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> I feel like there was something I was going to say. Oh, I, another huge part about the, about the collect part. Like so many people tell me and I, and I feel like we were going to talk about this. Like, oh, I can't afford the things I want. Like I can't afford like the really nice pair of heels or like the nice handbag. I'm like you, it's not that you can't afford it. You don't want to, it's not. And then I'm not saying that you like are, it's like a subconscious thing. Like you said, like you, I know people that go to target and spend a hundred dollars without thinking about it. If you didn't do that, you know, if you kept to this list that I was saying and you really focus, okay, I want to buy like a really nice pair of black heels and I want to spend $250 on them. And maybe that sounds crazy to some people, but like, you know, heels, you're going to wear them forever. They're going to last you for a really long time. All you have to do is not buy some frivolous things that you don't need that fall apart that are going to break in the next couple of months a couple times, a couple trips out to Target, a couple trips to J Crew, you know, and you before you know it, you'd be surprised you have that money to spend and really put towards like the awesome thing that you want instead of continuing telling yourself that you can't afford it. I think that's a limiting belief a lot of us have, you know, like stems from growing up or parents or spending money on yourself. And it's just, it's about changing, changing those thought patterns. Yeah. And, you know, I was just telling Carly before this, if we're on this topic, like, I currently am working on selling my yoga program. I only open it twice a year and it's $159. And the amount of responses that I have gotten that people can't afford it, you know, and Mm -hmm. I know there are certain circumstances where people cannot afford it. I don't want to sound like I'm not, um, you know, compassionate and empathetic towards Mm -hmm. people who like are a single mom and they're trying to feed three kids and they're on a low salary, right? Like that's, that's one scenario. But then there's the scenario that you just painted where 
people are, and I'm definitely, I fall victim to it. You walk into somewhere and you spend a bunch of money you didn't need to spend on frivolous mm-hmm. items or a lot of takeout one week. And before mm-hmm. you know it, you've spent like one to $300 more than you planned on spending that week. Yet meanwhile, when it comes to actually investing in yourself and like actually putting boundaries around money or whatever it might be, it seems impossible. And like, no one could ever think that could happen, right? Like saving $250 for a nice pair of black heels, you know? And I think it's such a good lesson. It's something that's going to continue to come up for all of us that are in this space of carving out our own job titles and our own careers and basically selling our services how we want to spin it is that you have to constantly remind people that there is an abundance of money. There is no scarcity of it. And as long Mm -hmm. as you are an intelligent, healthy person, who wants to put the effort forth, you can make more of it. It's just choosing how you invest in yourself and how you spend it, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's something that's been coming up for me so much being my own boss now and, you know, not putting my self-worth into how people choose to spend their money and if they choose it to spend with me or not. But you just really like hit the nail on the head for me about how people, you know, and I'm fall victim. I fall, I walk into Target and I leave with like, Ten mm-hmm. things I shouldn't have bought. These are so, these are, this is a hundred percent self sabotaging behavior, right? Like as much as people don't want to believe it, or like you know, it's the underlying thing, which is a lot of what I work on. Are these like underlying limiting beliefs that people aren't even cognizant of? Is this idea of the really behi- the underlying thing behind that is like not buying the really nice bag that you want is you don't think you deserve it, mm-hmm. right? Which is like a really hard place for a lot of people to get to, mm-hmm. right? You like trying to show like because. Because if when we're human beings and we all know, like you just said, first of all, we print money. So there's, yeah, like money doesn't actually, like there is no difference in like, there's not a fixed amount of money. Like we make it all the time. The government makes it all the time. So you can make as much as you want. You can make as little as you want. And and a lot of people just think, you know, they, they get into this mindset of like lack mentality and scarcity and, and, and blaming everything on this, the money thing when it really comes down to, cause if you really, really wanted something, you would do everything in your power to make it happen. And again, I know you're saying like, of course there's circumstances and there's people and those people know, I feel like when you know that your circumstances are real, you're not really so much affected by this, but when you know that you can actually afford something that you truly want, but you just keep self-sabotaging yourself, that I think is when it's the most painful. So true. And it's so interesting. Um, here you are a stylist, air quotes, if you could see me and my Skype was working. (laughs) But, um, really what your job is, is you are helping women change their energetic frequencies around, not only around money and spending money, but around their bodies, around acceptance, around love. Um, so, Talk about a multifaceted, you, you know what I mean? I work in style, but. I know, I know. You have no idea how hard it is to tell people what I do. <laughs> right, and I see that. It's such an umbrella. And I think that's because, especially women, um, we're such complex creatures and there's so much more behind the veil. Buying a pair of $10 shoes at Target versus the $250 pair, what are we really saying? Yeah, What's the bigger 100%. picture? Yeah. And, so, and the idea the idea of, um, oh, sorry, did I cut you? Were you still? No, no, no. Go for it. Yeah. The, the idea of like, and this is such a huge thing that hit me. I remember listening to a Marianne Williamson tape that I used to listen to all the time over and over again is like so much of society tells us. And I actually just like, um, posted this in my Instagram today, like a quote from an Eckhart Tolle book about how we don't feel like we're improving unless we're constantly accumulating more. Mm-hmm. And so, so much of society, especially when it comes to clothing, and I see this in women's closet, is like just the more, the more, the more, the more. And it's like take a break, look at the things you have. Like Marion Williams would always say, like if you like, even if you have the money to buy one nice dress, and that is the only thing that you have that's nice in that closet, you wear that dress and you feel amazing in it, and you wear it all the time. Like who cares? So much of society tells us that we have to always have like a different outfit, and we have to have like a ton of clothes, and everything has to be new and new and new and more and more. And it's like, and I know this is crazy being a stylist, like. I'm not, I, I'm not in the business to tell people to buy things. Like I get so like one of my hugest, hugest, that's not a word. One of the biggest like motivations for me in this fashion space is so much. And I'm not putting these down. I have a lot of really, really popular blogger friends, like that have crazy followings and I love fashion bloggers. And I think that they, they definitely have a place, but so much of the the fashion slash fashion blogger space, especially in, in social media is so geared towards 
consuming, like consuming, 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 like, look at my outfit, you can buy it here, you can buy it here, you can buy it here. And of course, you don't have to do everything they say. But it's just like, what about like, what about what we already own? Like, let's look into the closet. Let's look into the things that we bought already that we love and be happy with like what we have instead of constantly wanting to have more things that's not, you know, it's, it's the, it's the, it's like the hamster wheel. Like you're never going to own something that's going to make you feel good enough because you're always going to have to own another thing, another thing, another thing, another thing. And until we get to a place where you feel like you're good enough as you are, then yes. And I'm all about buying stuff. Like I'm all about buying love. I mean, you got money for a Chanel bag, let's do it, you know, but not until you feel like that Chanel bag isn't going to make you a better person because it's not going to make you a better person. It's going to, it's a beautiful thing and it's beauty. And if you have the capacity to own that sort of thing, hundred percent, you should own it. You shouldn't feel bad about it. But at the same time, if you think a Chanel bag is going to make you a better wife, mother, career person, girlfriend, the cuter girl in your yoga class, you know, like all these things, like you're buying it for the wrong reasons. Amen, sister. And that was a major (laughs) truth bomb. So thank you for sharing it. So you've shared a lot of yourself with us today. And what we want to know from you when we are asking our people that come on the show, how do you plan as you continue to grow and, you know, make a name for yourself in this industry that you're basically creating, which is awesome? You know, how do you plan (laughs) to stay close to your truth and continue to dare to change as your career evolves? Gosh, you know, I feel like the biggest thing, and I've learned this so much from Gabby because of watching her grow and like as big as she's gotten, it's always, always goes back to like your personal practices, like your daily rituals, the things that you do every day. Like I'm never thinking that like I, I know it all. I never think that I have all the answers. I never think that like, oh, I finally got into like the place. And like now I'm like, I know all the things my clients can learn everything from me. Like, and life is so good with that. The universe is so good at like knocking you back down a few steps because the minute you think you have something figured out, it's like, uh, 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 <laughs> like, let me introduce you to something new. And like, this happens to me on a weekly basis. So it's like, I stay really, really tight. And again, I fall off. I'm not perfect, but like really, really tight to like my morning practices, like meditating in the morning is a huge thing for me. Reading lots of spiritual books is like a really big thing for me. I try to every Tuesday night watch Marianne's live lecture that she does from that church in New York. Like everything Gabby does, I'm always super big and a part of like, I'm constantly developed. Like, it's just like muscles in the gym, right? Like you don't go to the gym, get the perfect body. And then you're like, peace out gym. And you like lose your membership and stop doing yoga, right? It's like you get to a spiritual place and you continue working out your muscles at the spiritual gym. And like, that's what I'm doing all the time. Cause I know that my greatest benefit for my clients and like writing blogs and all this stuff and, and all this, just like the, what I'm giving out to the world is only going to come through me going through the ups and downs of everyday life and like falling and getting back up and falling and getting back up and falling and getting back up. So, and girlfriend, <laughs> yeah, Ali and I are the queens of getting knocked <laughs> off the damn horse and trying to climb back up. So we hear you and we appreciate your honesty. And I don't think that um, it is talked about enough. I think that we put a shiny picture on things and uh, we don't talk about how hard it is. Oh, yeah, Not at all, especially where the, in the world I come from. Like, <laughs> again, like I thought a huge part of me getting to finally to get to this place where I'm at after it's been almost four years since I left L is like the, the fear of like what all those people will think when they like, when they like read a blog or like see what I'm doing. Cause it's so not talked about in like the fashion industry, right? Like talking about like where you, where you lack and like where you're not good enough. And, and when you feel like you don't have enough money and like all that stuff, everything is just like perfect and beautiful. I'm like, yes. I'm like Celine and buy that and da da da. And you know, and it's like, and it's a beautiful industry too, but just so much of it is based on like shallow and I don't mean shallow in like the way we, but like going shallow and not going deep, you know, with, Mm. with your emotions, with people. And, and so it was really, really tough for me to like get to this place to feel comfortable to like finally get out there and like really, really talk about, um, the process I've been through and the journey and what I really want to add to the fashion community. So, well, I think that you have, uh, you know what you need to add. You're doing it. You have a niche and, um, you can be my stylist if you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, Jody, thank you so much for coming on here today. Thank you yeah. for opening up to us and um, bringing us a little bit into your world and for truly 
making the world a better place one closet at a time. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. All right, you guys, we really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jody and that you are just as inspired as we are to take a look in our own closets and in our own hearts and understand how spirituality and style coexist within all of us. If you're interested in learning more about Jodi or working with her in the future, you can find her on Instagram at polishingup, P-O-L-I-S-H-I-N-G up, or you can find her on her website, which is polishingup.com. If you feel called to dive deeper into this topic, remember that we have free weekly journal prompts going out to correspond with every single episode, and you can sign up for those over at our website, which is truthanddaremovement.com. That's where you're also going to find details, show notes from today's episodes, blog posts, and anything else that you need about us. Thank you so much for tuning in for another weekly conversation where we try our very best to live our truth and dare to change. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye.